Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hello, welcome back to another amazing episode of Spooky Psychology. They're all amazing. (laughs) They're always amazing. (laughs) This is... Megan Baker. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't sure if you were like trying to get me to say my name or like spooky psychology with Megan and Lauren. <laughs> One day we'll have our introduction down. Or we'll have not like at a all. Thing going. And then my name is Lauren Malika. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, we are two licensed clinicians who like to talk about spooky shit. So mm-hmm. welcome. Welcome. And listen up. Yeah. Today, what are we talking about, Megan? Today, we are going to talk about the psychology of cults. That was an excellent spooky noise. Thank you. You're welcome. So, yes. As always, we're going to start off with trigger warnings. Um, Some of the stuff we talk about today is going to be disturbing to hear about. What I'm talking about today will definitely be disturbing to hear about, so... As is tradition. Get ready for... I tend to go for it. You do. You really go for it. I really do. So, you know, trigger warning specifically um, for obviously cult activity, sexual abuse, um, child sexual abuse and physical abuse, brainwashing, general general trigger warning for just, yeah. If you're not really in a good mood today, maybe don't listen to this. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe listen to like, what's a nice positive podcast? Um, Maybe like listen to No Such Thing as a Fish. Are you familiar with that? No. It's a, it's a British podcast, a QI podcast, and they just talk about facts, their favorite facts. It's funny and informative. So maybe like, if you're in a bad mood, go listen to that. I like um, one called Ghosted Ooh. by Roz Dresfeles. Um, he is a drag queen, Ooh, and okay. he talks about ghosts and paranormal, and he's cool. silly, and it's lighthearted. So. Super cool. Gotta love the lighthearted podcast. I like that we start off our podcast by regularly telling people to go listen to other <laughs> podcasts. Stop listening to ours. <laughs> like, what are you even doing here? What We're not that here? great. So yeah, so there's bad stuff in this. If it's going to be too triggering, don't listen to it. But if you think you're going to be okay, then awesome. Or maybe, like, listen to this and then immediately watch The Great British Bake Off. It will balance out. Yes. Your brain will thank you. Right. So, Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of cults? All right. Buckle up. Or herstory. The herstory. (laughs) I think it's both. So, you know, cults are kind of an interesting thing. It's it's hard to tell how long they've actually been around. So a lot of this is like the history of like the study of cults, kind of. So like in the 1930s, that's kind of when sociologists started to do research into cults. So they were kind of looking into any religious beliefs that differed from the norm and had beliefs that were deviant. Now, what does deviant deviant mean in this context? Pretty much things that did not go along with Christianity. Um, Mm -hmm. So, kind of some of those. Like, in the 1940s, there was kind of a Christian 
pushback. The counter-cult movement, they were anti-cults, as many of us are now. Um, They're really pushing against, like, different Christian groups, though. Um, And obviously this is... Because in America, cults tend to be Christianity-based. Obviously, there are cults based on other religions, but a lot of my research led me to this specific stuff. That's why I'm focusing on it. They're pushing against... Christian religions that were different than, like, typical Christianity. So Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, and the Church of Latter-day Saints. So the reason that they were kind of going after all of those, I don't know what your guys' knowledge of religion is, but those religions each kind of have beliefs that differ from Christianity, and that the main Christian groups thought that their beliefs were against the Bible and therefore wrong. So they were just inconsistent with the Bible. So there was a lot of concerns about what they were doing and if they were cults. Gotcha. So like if we skip forward to the 70s now. 70s. Still a pretty groovy time. Disco was big. Good times. <laughs> I wasn't so we there. Here. <laughs> I, allegedly. I went through a disco phase as a child. No, I don't know. I so did. What Fun did fact. this consist of? Oh my god. So you just need to picture... <laughs> A little nine-year-old Megan who looked exactly like me if you just make me short. Amazing. Little tiny Megan just like singing her heart out to I Will Survive. Oh, this is important. It was really this great. It was really, I went through a, a disco phase. Um, so did Tim, actually. Tim also was pretty into disco as a child. So rare. We I were made for each other. Yeah. Um, so also, in the 70s, it wasn't <laughs> just disco. Um, there was kind of a secular anti-cult mm. movement. So that's kind of when people, obviously, a lot of cults were happening. A lot of serial killers were happening. It was an interesting decade. And so people People were kind of like realizing that there were cults and there was kind of a problem with what was going on. We kind of have an issue with this. Like, actually, though, we don't like this. So then there that was kind of when the whole brainwashing thing and the deprogramming started. Mm-hmm. So they're. They kind of wanted to just get people out of the cults and deprogram them, which allegedly involved, like, holding them in rooms and beating them for a while. So, like, it wasn't, like, the best thing. Um, But they were really fighting to get people out of cults. Um, So that's kind of when most people were like, ah, fuck, cults aren't good. (laughs) This isn't cool. Like, now that we're looking at it, um, and, you know, I think a lot of, like, the stuff that happened in the 70s. I believe Jim Jones was in the 70s mm-hmm. when all that went down. So I think it's those sorts of things led to like a cultural awareness of cults that previously was kind of only a concern in a lot of Christian groups. Maybe not only a concern, but was most notably a concern amongst Christians. Okay. All right. So why don't we get into types of cults? Mm, so yes. there's a few different kinds. Um, so there's destructive and those are more... Um, motivated or geared to physically harm kill people um there's a lot of sexual abuse that happens within these types of cults another one is doomsday Ooh, a good old doomsday, doomsday. Cult. focused on end time um there's political which obviously they're very focused on political interests um there's polygamist so they practice plural marriage so the LDS actually stopped plural marriage in 1890, but 
there are little groups of the LDS that still practice that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, those, um, they're now, they call themselves the FLDS. So FLDS. The Fundamentalist Church of Latter-day Saints. So it's not Mormons. It's a specific subgroup. Splinter group. Fundamentalist. Got you, girl. All right. Next. I may have read a lot about the FLDS. I am obsessed. They're so interesting. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. There's lots of good books for, written by uh, women who have left the FLDS Ooh. about the experience. So definitely check those out. I think we'll link some of the some of the books I've read in the episode description. I can't think of their titles right now. That's okay. All right. Uh, another type is racist. So obviously you think of like the KKK, mm-hmm. uh, Aryan cult, skinhead, stuff like that. And then terrorists are another type of cult. So you might think of the Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Kind of the interesting thing with cults is that there is like a debate about what is a cult. Yeah, some people disagree about terrorists as being cults. But I mean, I could see it. What do you think? You know, I think it just kind of depends on which cult definition you're working off of. Yeah. Like, I think that, you know, especially like KKK, I think you definitely can make an argument either way. Same totally. Same Al-Qaeda. Like, I think it's a bit more complicated when it's like not a doomsday cult. Doomsday cults are like pretty straightforward. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a cult. Um, we can even, I think we're going to talk about it. Like, how you know? How you know? Is my religion a cult? We'll get there. Because, um, again, we got nothing against religion at all, but we do have some things against cults. So, fundamentally different. But now I'm going to tell you a little bit about some cult leader characteristics. So, this is, um, a lot of this came from, uh, it's a guy named Joe Navarro. We'll give mm. him a shout out. He actually Joe, wrote a whole Joe. lot for Psychology Today. He is. A former FBI agent who does a lot. Espionage, interrogation, reading people, and deception. So that's kind of like his thing. He has a master's degree, too. Um, so he talks a lot about cult leaders. He writes a whole list, which I'll, I'll read some parts. But it's really talking about how you know cult leaders, te- they have something called traumatic narcissism. So there there's a difference between narcissism and traumatic narcissism. What is that difference? Well, like, traumatic narcissism is essentially narcissism that's traumatic to other people. Mm. And it really, like, le- has a delirious effect on others. So it's like being so charismatic that people will listen to you. And Ooh. so that's kind of the level of, like, you know, cult leaders who legitimately think that they're God. Like, they are the most important person and they're charismatic enough to pull it off and make you think that which is fascinating because i mean if you look at a lot of these cult leaders like look at how many people they got to follow them it's really impressive actually yeah like they're very manipulative and they're very good where they're narcissistic enough to want think that they're the most important person in the world Mm -hmm. and they're charismatic enough to get other people to think it too and that's a dangerous combination absolutely um they're also like really good at reading people just like serial killers um they pick their victims carefully i think cult leaders are able to tell when people are vulnerable enough to go for it and that's you know why you'll see again i think lauren will get into some cult member characteristics but the leaders are really good at picking their victims they know who's vulnerable and they will exploit that um and there's also they thrive on chaos and control as do i i'm just kidding (laughs) no you Guys, I do thrive do, in chaos. I also thrive in chaos, but we may be doing an intervention for Lauren. Look out for Please that special <laughs> episode. 
Um, but really, like, they love it when everything is, like, going wrong. And I think, you know, if you look at it, a lot of times the cult leaders are able to, like, convince people that they are the cure for everything that's going wrong in the world. I think. No one is the cure for anything. They think that, you know, they, as a human being can fix things and that they're the answer and that's that's a big red flag so if someone says that to you please question them run immediately just very far away run quickly um so kind of looking at our good friend joe navarro um has some typical traits of a pathological cult leader you Ooh. should look for um and this whole list is available on psychology today com. if you just look up cult leader characteristics it has like a hundred things on it so i'm not going to read them all because <laughs> that would don't. be intense. <laughs> um but he has a grandiose idea of who he is and what he can achieve like i said like mm. this is very grand it's like i can fix everything is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success power or brilliance demands blind unquestioned obedience Mm. requires excessive admiration from followers has a sense of entitlement i mean obviously if we're looking at those first four things like they are super entitled um and they exploit others by asking for money is a big one. Oh. Taking sexual advantage of members of the cult. Making members confess their sins publicly. Uh-oh. Boasting of accomplishments. Um, and I think, yeah, there's actually, there's 50 things. I guess I was overdramatic. There's only 50, but still. A lot. Kind of looking at those where it's really like they take control of everyone. They need that control of other people. And they use it to exploit people by convincing them that they are the answer. Which I'll talk a little bit more when I compare religions to cults in a bit. Okay. Take it um, away, Lauren. I will take it away. So now we're going to talk about cult member characteristics, and there's some you know key terms that I think are important when understanding it. Um, so the first one is something called hive mind. Um, so it's when a large number of people share knowledge or opinions with one another. Um, it's regarded as producing either uncritical conformity or collective intelligence. Um, so the issue with hive mind is that it's less focused on thinking critically about things and more focused on, you know, having the group agree on something. Um, another thing to keep in mind is something called cognitive dissonance. It's another phenomena. Um, so it involves situations where there's conflicting attitudes or beliefs or behaviors, um, and it produces a feeling of mental discomfort leading into changing one of the attitudes, beliefs, or behaviors. So an example of, you know, people smoking, mm-hmm. knowing that it causes cancer, but they still smoke. Yeah. So that's, that's an example of co- cognitive dissonance. So there are some other characteristics that I found actually in a Bustle article, and we'll link it. It's pretty cool. Um, One of them is uh, people who want to feel validated and feel connected. I feel like that's honestly a very human experience. I think we all all want want to be connected with others. We want to, you know, feel like we're good the way we are and that people like us. Yes, at a very human level. So that's the first one. The second one is um, those who seek an identity, seek meaning in life. Um, so I think anytime you're going through any sort of like life change, this could come up, and especially younger people, mm-hmm. you know, when you're getting out of high school or leaving college, like that's definitely an identity seeking time. 
Um, so that makes them vulnerable. Uh, the third one is people who identify as followers. So they're not comfortable exactly leading groups, stuff like that. Um, those Are were, you a leader or a follower? That's my least favorite job interview oh question of all time. It's like, no one's going to say I'm a follower. <laughs> I think most people are a mix of both. They'll lead yeah. in some situations. They'll follow in others. Um, but that's like such a bullshit job interview question. Re- I think they just don't know what questions to ask. So I think my favorite one is um, back when I had to interview people regularly, I would make them tell me what uh, superpower they would want and why. Because I feel like it shows you a lot about a person of like mm. what superpower they would elect to have. That's a much better question than are you a leader or a follower? Like, what the fuck is that? What would your superpower be? Mine? Mm-hmm. My superpower would be teleportation. Why? Because, like, okay, number one, think about it. If you had, like, a two-hour break in clients, you could just teleport back to your bed and just take a nap for a while. But, like, also, like, you could go to Hawaii on your lunch break and go eat on a beach. You could kind of go anywhere in the world you wanted to, and I think, like, that would be so useful, especially, I mean... I went to go see my grandmother, um, which was lovely, but we spent 11 hours in the car in one day to drive there and back. So it's like, man, I just like pop over and have lunch with her. Yeah, that's a good one. Those kind of things would be nice. But what superpower would you want? I don't know if this is a real superpower, but it doesn't like, have to be. Okay, so like no superpowers like, are real. Let's true, just clarify that. So you know how there's like superpower strength. Mm-hmm. I think I would want like superpower energy where i had like mm. endless energy where you would have like the energy of a toddler yeah to do like all the things think about how much you would do if you had I the energy of a everything. toddler why do we waste all that on toddlers like they can know. toddlers they're have, they can to do watch. anything yeah but they also can't do much because they're toddlers they're in their little bodies oh poor little babies anyway cult members cults <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're kind of susceptible for calls. Probably. That's fine. It's okay. So the fourth thing was um, those with schizotyp... I always say this wrong. Schizotypal Yes, schizotypal. We got this. Um, So those are just like odd beliefs and behaviors that fall into like conspiracy type categories. Um, People who have difficulty taking accountability for their actions... Totally. And then people from dysfunctional families, traumatic backgrounds. So for them, um, it was talked about in a lot of the research that I've done that for a lot of people that come from really dysfunctional families, to be in a cult is kind of like lesser of two evils in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So it's better than their situation. Um, the next part I wanted to talk about was um, cult recruitment tactics. Ooh. Um, and I actually found a lot of this information through an Amazon Prime series called Cults Ooh. that I watched comfortably. Would you recommend it? Oh, totally. Great. It was super interesting. So these are some of the tactics they use. So cult leaders um, are referred to, referred as knowing more, being very intelligent or all-knowing, kind of similar to what you were sharing before, Megan. Um, they claim to help people and understand themselves better um they promise things most human beings want or are searching for so like connection you know that type of thing um they use values against you Mm -hmm. um they enlist in happy and attractive people um primarily women women. (laughs) yes because 
that brings people in. Everybody sees like, oh, it looks like they're having a great time and, and they're young and happy. And, and I think we also just tend to see women as like non-threatening and safer. nurturing. So if there's lots of women, it's like, I'll go with this random woman. She's probably not going to hurt me at all. Like, right. Which is so scary. They can lure us into a false sense of security. I'm saying they, even though like we are both women. But like really, though, a lot of times like you'll hear these stories about people being robbed and it's often like there's a woman there that kind of like lures you into a false sense of security and i think with sex trafficking stuff yeah that happens a lot so So watch out for everyone the moral of the story (laughs) no one is who they seem to be (laughs) no trust people trust people the right people who deserve your trust anyway set good boundaries be a good person um anyway they so for cult recruitment uh they tend to focus on vulnerable populations so you know people from dysfunctional homes people with low ses stuff like that um they promise greater purpose and meaning and you can't really promise that um they begin as a reasonable religion and slowly introduce more out there quote-unquote concept um once people are committed and they definitely support kind of that we they thinking like us against them Mm -hmm. um i wanted to share this quote there was a doctor named dr kath dr kath dr kath i'm pretty sure she was from this amazon prime series um and they said keeping devotees constantly fatigued deprived of sensory input and suffering protein deprivation working extremely long hours in street solicitation or in cult owned businesses engaging in monotonous chanting and rhythmical singing may induce psychophysiological changes in the brain the rhythmical movement of the body can lead to altered states of states of consciousness and changes in the pressure or vibration pattern of the brain may affect the temporal lobe interesting very interesting the only other thing I'll mention is just that um, cult recruitment tactics it operates very similarly to the cycles of abuse if you're familiar with that so like tension building the tension building goes into an event or an occurrence of abuse and then the honeymoon phase yeah and a lot of that is really similar with cults all right so now i'm gonna go over some things the question is my religion a cult um so this is this is kind of an interesting thing um a lot of people there are differences between religions and cults but they can be a little bit blurry so for the sake of this conversation i am going to be comparing cult red flags to the christian church and the reason that i'm doing this with christianity and not other religions is just because that's what i personally am the most familiar with and that's what i can speak to the best so it's not i'm not saying that like christianity is the best i'm not saying that like i'm judging you if that's not your belief system if you're in something else and i'm not saying that there aren't cults that are in other religions this is just i'm comparing to what i'm the most familiar with um i don't want to speak for people of other religions i don't you know i know a little bit i don't know as much um so warning sign that you know some people might be like my religion you know my church is getting a little weird not sure if we're getting culty right i've heard that from people Uh before where there are changes and they're a little bit like "Mm, i don't know what's happening what is happening um 
So it is a red flag if your church or your religion is opposing critical thinking. A lot mm. of churches that I've been in, they encourage questioning and discussion. It's not like, oh, you're questioning faith, like you're a bad person. It's like, oh, you're questioning, like, let's talk about what you're questioning. You have concerns, let's talk about it. Let's be open about it. Right. Um, you know, I'll explain the answers from within this particular faith. But, you know, you're allowed to question. It's not like, oh, you know, you're not getting beaten for questioning it. And in a lot of cults, they strongly oppose critical thinking. If you are questioning, they'll tell you like, oh, you don't believe strongly enough. You're bad. And so it's a different thing. Um, Isolating members and penalizing them for leaving. So, you know, it's kind of a red flag if your religious group is trying to isolate you from other people, especially your family and friends. Um, They really do like an us versus them thing, like Lauren was saying, where it's very much like they're the non-believers and they isolate you from them. You know, in most, you know, churches, you live in the community, you work in the community, you're allowed to associate with people who aren't of the faith. It's not, you know, that huge of a thing. And if you leave to go to another church, you're not penalized. Nobody like is really saying anything negative against you. Right. It's just like you left the church. Uh, maybe you owed a different one. Emphasizing doctrines that are outside of scripture. Such a red flag. So if you are in a religious group that is based on Christianity and they're emphasizing things that are outside of the Bible, that would be a red flag because the Bible is the book. For Christianity, if they're taking things that are not in the Bible and are saying they're more important than the Bible. Again, oh, red yeah. flag that you're leaving the religion and going into an occulty territory. And not, you know, every group that doesn't follow these things, like, is a cult. It's not an immediate thing. Like, it may not be. Um, but it could be possibly going somewhere that you don't want it to. Um, seeking inappropriate loyalty to leaders. Again, like we were talking about some of the stuff, the leaders promise. And like, again, to go, you know, comparatively to like a normal Christian church, right? Like all the promises that are made, everything is related to God. It's not related to your pastor. If it's getting to the point where you're supposed to be more loyal to the religious leader in your church than whatever God you are worshiping, that is a red flag where it's like they're suddenly more important. Now, some religions will have like prophets or other things. Um, again, I'm not the most familiar with that. But when it's inappropriate loyalty to the point where like your like pastor or priest leader is more important than the deity that you are supposedly yeah. worshiping, that's yeah. a bit of a red flag. That's like an area where you're like, I'm not sure. Dishonoring the family unit. You'll see this in a lot of cults where they yes. break up families. Most religions do emphasize families um, and families sticking together. Again, crossing biblical boundaries of behavior um, or again with whatever religious source text you're using. But most religions discourage from, you know, sexual activity outside of marriage. That's across the board kind of something that most religions agree you shouldn't do. Totally. But a lot of times in cults, it's like suddenly your family's broken up and you have to have sex with the leader and you have to do all of these things. Which again, red flag. Preoccupation Huge. with bringing in new members and preoccupied with making money. So a lot of churches do like new members, do like to expand and will take donations from people. But... 
There's a difference between taking donations and requiring donations. Um, And that's the other thing is that like some churches do tithing where you're supposed to give 10% of your income, but even they usually say as you're able, but like you don't necessarily get kicked out. Even if you don't give money, you're still allowed to attend services. You are still allowed to participate. It's not like if you don't give money, like you're shunned. And in cults, you will see people being shunned if they're not giving their life savings to the group. Right. Um, And then, really, again, with the isolation, like, members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. Like, everything is about the group. You're not allowed to work outside the group. You're not allowed to live outside the group. You have to spend time only with the group. And lastly, like... Like, how boring. Right? Being required to live with the group. So, at this point, you're not even allowed to, like, live. People are selling their houses and giving the money to the cult. At this point in time, your religion is definitely a cult and you should consider what you're doing. Totally. Um, You know, and I think it's all of this, like, there is a gray area between a church and a cult because some of these things, like, really do, like, obviously, like, a lot of churches will discuss literature outside of the Bible or outside of the religious text, books people have written on the text, other things, but they're not more important. They'll seek some loyalty, but not, like, unending loyalty. They're not, you know, they like for people to stay, but you're not getting ostracized for leaving. Right. And there's just a lot with that where, like, when it's suddenly, like, a massive shift from what the typical for the religion that the group is supposedly a part of if they're shifting to beliefs that are in conflict with the beliefs of the general religion and seeking you know all of your money and all of your loyalty that is a big red flag that you're in a dangerous situation totally you're in danger girl yeah get out all right so I'm going to share a cult story. Not a lot of people know about this cult, and I am obsessed with it. I did a ton of research about it. Um, the references I used were good old Wikipedia, Ranker, Rolling Stone, and thegothamist.com. Um, so the cult that I'm talking about is the Sylvanian cult. Had you heard about them? I had not heard okay. about them. All right. This cult was led by somebody named Saul B. Newton. Um, He was a controversial therapist in 1957. So what's interesting about him is he was a therapist with no formal training, which is super problematic. That is a big red flag. Your therapist should have training. Yes, they should. And yes. We'll get into that a different time. <laughs> um, so he married somebody, and her name was Dr. Jane Pierce. Um, in 1957, they actually opened the Sol- the Sullivan Institute um, for research and psychoanalysis. Um, this was in New York, and it was named after Harry Stack Sullivan. So Sullivan was known for pioneering the thought that interpersonal relationships could lead to mental illness due to enmeshment, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that definitely can happen. If you're too enmeshed with your family members, um, that could lead to a lot of stress. Why don't you give a quick definition of what an enmeshed relationship would be just for... Our peeps out there the who peeps. don't know. All right, spooky peeps. Spooky so. peeps. Oh, we should call you spooky peeps. I love that. But like little peeps in Halloween costumes. <laughs> like tiny marshmallow <laughs> peeps with like little witch hats. That's how we imagine oh. all of you. So cute. My peeps. My peeps. I actually love peeps. I do too. But yeah, so enmeshment is really like 
when there's no boundaries within a relationship. Mm -hmm. So what that would look like is, you know, for example, like if like a mom and her child, um, if the mom was like telling the child, like all of her marriage issues with the child's father, that would be like really inappropriate enmeshment. (laughs) Um, Enmeshment is just, yeah, again, no boundaries. um, A lot of like not being able to make decisions on your own. Um, a lot of just really inappropriate sharing and closeness mm-hmm. that really shouldn't be there. So what you're saying is that this cult actually, like, theoretically has a grain of truth sprinkled in there. Don't they all, though? They all do. I'll yeah. talk about that a little bit. We're like, they start out Like, okay, I normal. can get on board And that's why what I was just talking about with, like, the difference between cult and religion, it's important to keep that in mind because most cults start out as a pretty typical group of people. Right, with, like, a good theory yeah this is good theory so another thing that sullivan believes was that loneliness was the most painful of human experiences so i can totally i could get on board with that i'd be like yes yes we agree with you here is a little bit about newton though so the guy who wasn't formally trained and Mm -hmm. opened this center um there's not a ton of information about his background we know that he grew up in new brunswick um, he was in the Spanish Civil War and the U.S. Army in World War II. Um, before he led the cult, um, he had a long history as a leftist. As a young man, um, he was a union organizer and anti-fascist, seeking to bridge the gap between politics and psychology through his work. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit about his background. We don't know a ton. Very mysterious. Very mysterious. So... Essentially, him and his wife distorted Sullivan's teachings, so Mm -hmm. about enmeshment and loneliness. Um, So the nuclear family, he suggested that the nuclear family led to mental illness. So this is not 100% true, right? Mm -hmm. So like if families are dysfunctional, that could totally lead to mental illness. But breaking up like a nuclear family unit doesn't necessarily help anybody. No, it doesn't. So that's what we were starting off with. (laughs) So not off to a good start. Um, so in the 70s, the community had several hundred members, actually. Hmm. Um, so this like is, I was saying earlier, the 70s, man, weird decade. Lots was happening. A lot was happening. A lot of disco, a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, so this is a huge red flag. Um, the patients and the therapists lived together in the Upper mm. West Side. So again... We don't we don't do that. That's no. not something you should do. No. Uh, so this this place was part therapy center, part polyamorous commune. So one hundred percent cult. One hundred percent cult. That that two parts equal cult. <laughs> um. So what's interesting is there were well known artists and intu- intellectuals that were part of this cult. Um. And I think that kind of. It, taps into what we were talking about before of like you know if intelligent people are a part of it it kind of brings more people in like it makes it seem legit because you're yeah. like oh like jackson pollock is here why can't i like he's fine he knows exactly exactly so yeah so um one of them was jackson pollock he sorry was another. i jumped ahead there <laughs> it's okay <laughs> another one was judy collins a lot of people know her as well so, naturally, this was problematic because patients were encouraged to sever ties with their families. So, again, breaking up that family unit. Um, they created something called fuck rotas. 
which were displayed in the communal buildings, um, they basically told the members who their next sexual partner would be and kind of took turns having sex with each other. Yeah. um, So, again, we're talking about crossing boundaries and breaking up the nuclear families. That's what you're seeing here. If you're group that you're a part of determines who you have sex with that's that's not okay yeah (laughs) um there was a quote from a former member uh they said the therapist did not regard therapeutic boundaries with any respect at all everyone slept with everyone so you can guess right there that means patients were sleeping with their therapists and uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, therapists are not allowed to sleep with their ther- their no. patients. That's like literally thing number one. That Talk about you. ethics. I think that in some cases, therapists and former clients can engage in a romantic relationship if enough time has passed. In social work, technically it's seven years. Uh, my policy is always never. It's not a good idea. I think it's creepy. Um, but your therapist should absolutely not sleep with you. Absolutely. It definitely definitely creates um, an uneven power dynamic. Yes. And that is not okay. No, it is not. I feel like I sound like the counselor from South Park. It's oh, like, my God. Not okay. <laughs> wow. I would not have connected that, but you're right. You do. Okay. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so he had, (laughs) this Newton guy, he had a former wife named Helen Fogarty. Um, So she led the institute um, alongside of her husband, and they worked at, or she worked as a therapist to its members. So it was alleged that during these sessions, Fogarty sometimes instructed members to have intercourse uh, with her husband. That's kind of a neat therapeutic activity. Oh. Yeah. Um, The cult had a mandate um, that included multiple potential fathers in the conception process. So basically what that means is that if you wanted to have a child, you had to have sex with multiple partners so that you didn't know who the actual father was. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not I mean, okay. Also, though, like, I think you'll figure it out eventually because, you know. Kind of probably look probably like, like look people. Similar. I don't know. Very strange. Um, ex-members later on shared stories of being forced to share their beds with new partners on a nightly basis. Um, and married couples were not permitted to live together. So, again, just splitting up that family unit, making it really... Not okay. Yeah. Um, Next. So some people um, in the cult received instructions as to which jobs they could take. So they even controlled that aspect of their lives. Um, The leaders charged fines against members who did things like show too much interest in their children. An example of the fine for that would be $10,000. What is too much interest in your own children? I don't know. It's very vague. Yeah. Very vague. Very confusing. Um, Other times, members received orders disguised as requests to provide hundreds of thousands of dollars to the cult to assist in their personal growth. Again, a large sum of money for something very vague. Yes. Um, there were a couple ex-members that came forward. Um, there's Paul Sprecher and Michael Bray. 
Um, they said in their therapy sessions, the therapist showed them old childhood photos, and basically they were insinuating that their mothers were disgusted by them, and they would, like, I don't know, they would, like, point at, like, the mom's faces in the pictures and see, see, like, your mother was, like, disgusted with you and, like, Why? make up all these, like, weird, like, conspiracies. Um, another really fucked up thing is children born in the group were shift off to boarding school or given to caretakers. Um, their parents only were actually allowed to visit for an hour or two a day, which is very disturbing. Wow. In mandated weekly sessions, therapists advise patients to cut off all contact with outside friends and relatives, except when in need of money. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was okay. So basically, this is how it all ended. Um, So following the nuclear incident on Three Mile Island, I think a lot of us know about that, um, the group actually migrated to Orlando to await the deconstruction of Manhattan, they thought. It was all kind of coming to an end. Um, not everybody went, though. Some people stayed behind. So when I think it was about 250 members returned to New York a few weeks later, things were very different. So the people who didn't go to Florida were definitely ostracized by the group. And, you know, it became like an us versus them sort of situation. They, The Sullivanians declined in membership due to charges of professional misconduct, as you can imagine, mm, yeah. by therapists, child custody lawsuits, etc. And interestingly, um, Newton passed away in 1991 of Alzheimer's. So, kind of wonder when that started showing yeah, up. Very curious. Um, so uh, the psychological factors I definitely want to highlight in this story is just that they're uneven power dynamics. So, you know, the use of like intellectuals, highly educated people and how that made it seem like a safe, secure place. Um, definitely uneven power dynamics uh, with the therapist. Not OK. Um Enmeshment. There was definite. There were no boundaries. None whatsoever. So that was like the exact opposite of the theory that first started this place. Um, They preyed on people with already dysfunctional family structure. Um, So when I was doing the research, there were a few people that joined the cult because it was better than the abuse that they were accustomed to. Um, And then another guise that they kind of used for people was that they accepted quote-unquote polyamory um so at the time this was kind of like the only place people felt comfortable expressing that you know type of lifestyle and they felt validated and if they wanted to be in open relationships but the reality of it is you know all people need to consent to it you can't just be forced into a polyamorous relationship and you should also be choosing your own sexual partners, not totally. having them chosen for you. Like, if you want to be polyamorous and everybody's on board, that's your decision. Totally but if you cool. want to be polyamorous and your cult leader has a rota on the wall where he assigns you a sexual partner, that's not polyamory, that's just abuse. Absolutes. <laughs> Absolutes. Absolutes. So yeah, so that is the Sullivanian Institute. Not talked about very much, but really fucked up. Yeah, that is alarming. Yep. Um, 
So I'm going to be talking about a cult that actually has been talked about quite a bit, I think. Um, it is the Teens for Christ, slash the Children of God, slash the Family, slash the Family International. So many names. Depends on when you talk to them. So the interesting thing, um, and I think the reason that I chose to talk about this cult is because it's so messed up, but like in the early stages, it's a cult that I genuinely feel like I may have joined. Um, so like it started in 68 in Huntington Beach, California. There's like hippies and lots of counterculture stuff going on. Um, so really a lot of young adults were rebelling against like middle class culture and just wanted to go live a different life. They didn't want their two and a half kids in a white picket fence. They wanted something else. And so they kind of went out there, right? They're just mm-hmm. searching for who they are. And um, so Dave Berg, he's a traveling preacher, um, lead, led teen groups and, um, you know, he had a revelation to appeal to more young people and he began to dress like a hippie to preach um, and change the group from Teens of Christ to Children of God to appeal to more young people. So Teens for Christ, when he first started, they just ran a coffee shop and talked about God and played guitar on the beach, which to me sounds like pretty chill and sounds like something that as a teenager I probably would have been into. Like, yeah, hang out at a coffee shop, let's play guitar, chill on the beach, and like talk about peace and God and stuff like that. Like, I feel like a lot of people, you know, you can see why it appealed. Yeah. Um, But then he changed the name to Children of God, I think, to just be more general and not like teens anymore. Teens is very age specific. True. Um... So he really focused on vulnerable young people, like I said, like searching for their place in this world Mm. and searching for the meaning of life. Um, So that was really kind of where he was going. And by 69, the group had 50 members. So they were growing pretty quickly. Um, And Burke called them his family, and they began to travel. In eight months, they had over 200 members. And people were just dropping everything to join this caravan of hippies talking about Jesus. Um, So in the 70s, they returned to Southern California, and this is kind of when things got weird. Mm. Uh, Around the country, converts moved in together into group homes and called themselves a family. So again, we're not seeing the nuclear family, which the nuclear family is not the norm everywhere and actually is a fairly recent thing in society. A lot of times people would live with grandparents and kind of would live in larger family groups. Um, but instead of like choosing kind of everybody just moved in together um, and they weren't allowed to have jobs they could only preach that was it so again you're seeing that control piece of suddenly they have to live together and they're not allowed to have jobs anymore so the cult I just realized I, I had my foot on my dog's face oh. I did not realize that's where she was my apologies to Gotham um, so suddenly there's a lot of control um, and David Berg began to go by Moses David. Cool. Right? Like, super normal thing to do. Um, he lived in seclusion and only communicated with members via what he called Mo letters. So there are 3,000 Mo letters. Jesus. Most are for followers only, and members will be kicked out if shared. Now, the great thing is there's a website, I believe, called xfamily.org from Ooh. people who have left, and they have posted PDFs. So I will read excerpts from some Mo letters. Juicy. In a bit juice it's spilling the tea about moses david drag him yeah um so again like you know there is control so these people it's not one commune it's a lot of different communes um so initially the mo letters 
were pretty normal. They started with, like, scripture interpretation and kind of us-versus-them discussions of religion. So it was very much like, this is why we're better than other people. This is what scripture says. So initially, it was pretty based in scripture. Um, In 1972, he wrote a letter stating that he was God's prophet for a contemporary world. So again, he's now not a leader. He's a prophet, and God's speaking to him. So, you know, Mo Letters began to come out about sex and at first they were pretty typical they were talking about um, the importance of marriage and frequent sex within your marriage he recommended that people got a little bit wine drunk before sex to loosen their inhibitions I guess so you know like I think at this point a lot of people are like yeah like sleep with your spouse get a little wine drunk and have a good time like at first it was very much within marriage Which, again, is consistent with the scripture that they were using for this religion. But then in the late 1970s, they began preaching about sexual sharing. Um, And then things got creepier. So it started with (laughs) sexual sharing. Like, you can kind of have sex, and sex is how we show God's love, is really what he was saying. Um, But there's a couple things that are alarming. Um, number one, he said God created boys and girls able to have children by about 12 years of age. I have a huge problem with this. Yeah, and so basically, I will say, um, a lot of the letters now, they've been edited, from what I can tell. So some of the uh, sexual letters will say, like, for ages 16 and up. Now, 16 is still too young. They're still children. Um, They'll argue with it, but, like, most adults admit that when they were 16, they're like, I was a baby. What was I doing with my life, right? Right. You're not really, like... You're you're, not fully aware. Your brain isn't finished developing until you're, like, 26. So you got a long way to go. Um, And they were saying 12 years of age. Now, from former members, again, I read a lot on xfamily.org and a couple other sources, which I'll link, they pretty much all indicate that the abu- that adults were having sex with ch- with infants and up that oh it, there God. were no age restrictions and then this is an excerpt from a mo letter uh, for when I think things in this cult really start to get weird so I'm just gonna give you a little trigger warning uh, if you don't want to hear about Moses David's view on sex and God please just skip forward a little bit yes um, so it says God actually needs us and wants us and is in love with us his bride what does God need from us the thing he really wants the most is that intimate fellowship and love just like a man needs sex from his wife most of all her loving intimate fellowship and then he also needs her service he needs her to keep house and cook for him etc he parentheses Jesus does need us very much to meet his need for intimacy spiritual sex exclamation point he likes to fuck us with the word the seed right what the thing he needs from us the most is that intimate fellowship with the spirit so this is kind of a very interesting scriptural interpretation um where it went from like sometimes you'll hear that like the church is like the bride like it's it's a thing that you'll kind of hear a bit but basically moses said that uh we are literally married to jesus and he needs us to have sex with him okay so basically at this point in time whenever people had sex or masturbated they had to picture that they were having sexual relations with jesus christ himself that is horrifying right like that's a lot of control um again if your church is telling you what to think about when you're masturbating 
some churches will tell you not to masturbate, but if they're like, you should, and this is what you should think about, that's a big red flag right there. Very much. Another fun thing. So male homosexuality was wrong. Female, totally fine. Um, <laughs> but because male homosexuality was wrong, men needed to imagine themselves as a woman having sex with Jesus while they had Got sex it. or masturbated. Um, there is an entire letter about, as a man, how to pretend to be a woman um, oh if you're God. having trouble getting into the female headspace. Um, it's alarming, and it's also definitely written by a dude trying to picture what women think. All righty. Um, birth control was also banned to create as many soldiers for the end time as possible. So this was an apocalyptic cult, and they thought they needed a literal soldier, so they Neat. were they were getting them. Um, he also instituted a practice called flirty fishing in 1977. Uh, flirty fishing was basically religious prostitution so he sent women to sleep with men to convert them their marital status did not matter okay so they were to go literally sleep with women apparently or with men to get them to believe in god and join the cult um they also did accept money oh so they you know they were also just doing like regular prostitution they said that during flirty fitness fishing the not fitness they witnessed to over a quarter of a million souls loved over 25,000 of them and won about 19,000 to the lord by 1981 hundreds of jesus babies had been born so jesus babies were all of the children that were created via flirty fishing Ooh. so if you're looking at that they talked to 250,000 people they slept with 25,000 and got 19,000 to join the cult. That is a lot of people. Okay. Via flirty fishing. Um, the practice allegedly stopped in the 1980s due to the AIDS crisis, but some people say that it went longer than that. Wow. Um, Very disturbing. So in 1983, the group reported more than 10,000 full-time members living in 1,642 homes. So this was a sizable cult and there were a lot of people living together in these groups and this is all around the world wow um and the children of god was officially renamed the family Hmm. now the sexual sharing concepts included children uh the church considered adults to be 12 and older if you've ever met a 12 year old before you can verify they are not adults not at at all all. um 12 year olds are what sixth grade yeah six going into seven yeah um so that was like the official stance is that adults were 12 and older but a lot of reports that sexual activity began younger than 12 so christina babin um she came forward afterwards and she said um she was sexually assaulted by a married couple at age 11 after a decree that all sex was ordained by god so the belief was that sex was how you showed god's love to other people and so that it was always okay as long as it was done lovingly. So Ugh. we didn't need consent as long as you were doing it lovingly. Um, so like, like as long vague, as <laughs> I know, you know it's like as long as you mean well, yeah. you can do whatever you want, which is not okay. No. Um, and she said that so she was sexually assaulted by a married couple at age eleven. She said I felt bad about myself that I didn't like it. I mm. thought there was something wrong with my heart and my soul that I wasn't right with God. That's so sad. When in reality, an 11-year-old is not going to enjoy having sex with a married couple because they are 11 years they're old a baby and child. they're being raped. Yeah. That is like really like, that was the cognitive dissonance that people yes. had, that this was a loving thing to do. Um, one of the most famous members was uh, the entire Phoenix family 
was in wow. it. So River Phoenix famously said that he lost his virginity at age four in the Children of God oh cult. My God. And a lot of people do attribute his overdose and death to the trauma that he sustained in this cult. Horrifying. It is genuinely horrifying. Um, I'm just going to read another Mo letter called The Law of Love. Again, this is horrifying, so... Um, I feel like they're all horrifying. They are, and this is just an excerpt, but this is really where he, you know, again, they now try to say that this is only intended for adults, but this is what it says. It says, I'm talking about natural, normal, godly love as manifested in sex. As far as I'm concerned for whomever, there are no relationship restrictions or age limitations in his law of love. Ugh. But system laws make it all against the law. And if I tell you what I think, I'll probably break the law publishing it. Woo! Wow! The system really stinks it is a lie of it's a pit of lies and deceit and fiendish propaganda against the laws of god and the love of god and the sex of god it's almost totally against nature so he's you know they say later that they didn't intend this to be about children i mean he's flat out saying that there are no age limitations yes, for sexual relationships i definitely noticed that um which again this was a christian-based cult and if you're familiar at all with the bible uh Bible generally discourages having sex with a lot of people. Um, to my understanding, yes. Not, not a thing that it's for. So again, this is a very much in conflict with the scripture that they are allegedly based off of. But since he's claiming to be a prophet who can change everything, he's saying that he can just change everything about the religion. Um, now we're going to talk about Davidito, Ricky Rodriguez. Um was his name, but he went by Davidito in the cult. So he is the biological son of Karen Zerby and a man she flirty fished. Um, and he's adopted by David Berg. So Karen Zerby was David Berg's wife. Mm. I think she was originally his secretary and then he divorced somebody and now she's his wife. Okay. Fun fact, Karen Zerby is still leading this cult today. It is ongoing and she is in charge. So if anybody knows her or knows like, where she is... Could you imagine being like, oh my god, she's literally my neighbor. The authorities are probably looking for her. Actually, maybe not. Um, so... Davidito was like an adopted child of David Berg and he was everything in this cult like he was their big experiment and they said they were basically just going to raise him in a perfect child so that he was going to be the kid who was raised so they published a book to show how to raise a child and oh, this is no. some of the best evidence that the sexual abuse was including children um, and physical abuse as well and everything was documented including pictures oh um, wow the pictures okay. are horrifying so if you're you gonna look them? this up yeah Ugh. um they also have creepy cartoon faces dri um drawn over the faces of adults what? so the interesting thing is that, that was actually how the cult itself redacted them that's not a modern redaction so the modern redactions will like blur out private parts oh um, but the cult did cover the adults' faces, which Strange. to me indicates that they knew that they were doing something wrong, that they concealed yeah. the identity of the adult before dissonance. they published it. So I'm going to read a couple excerpts from the book. Again, trigger warning. These are some of the cleaner ones oh I could God. find. So if you're going to look it up, you can. Again, xfamily.org has it's the letter X, and they do have tons of stuff on there. But 
please. They actually have all of the mole letters published wow. in full PDF. So please exercise caution if you're going to look it up because I almost threw up reading some of this. Um, it says, sex. Now, if I share with you some of Davidito's sexy experiences, will you try prayerfully and cautiously to benefit from the lessons learned and follow the Lord's teaching in possibly sharing the same kind of gentle love and fun without stumbling our little sheep? You know, some things have been omitted from the story simply because it's sometimes hard to explain the exact situations and words without you actually being there to experience it with us. Davidito was 20 months old at the time of that oh writing. So they're God. talking about the sexy experiences of a child who's not even two. Okay. Again, it's that dissonance where it's like it's gentle and it's not harming him, but like he's not even two yet. Right. Um, and this is another. Moses said, God made children able to enjoy sex, so he must have expected them to. I did all my life. Thank God I love it. And it didn't hurt me any. Nearly all kids do anyhow, despite prohibitions. And the only reason the system frowns on it is that the churches have taught that sex is evil, which is contrary to the Bible. How could God created sexual enjoyment be a sin? The system is really screwed up. God help us. They're the ones not normal. But let not your good be evil spoken of. So take it easy. Whoa. So again, he's literally saying that it's okay. He's justifying it. They've tried to deny this since then, but you really can't. And so this is like really where it gets crazy because again it started with like teens playing guitar on yeah, a beach. Yeah, this escalated very quickly. It did over a few quick years but again like that's how charismatic he was and I honestly think that he had a big advantage of the fact that he communicated only through letters so like people never uh, met him a lot of people in the cult never even met him he is pretty spooky looking but again people didn't know him right well unless they were pretty high up which again like helps with the cognitive dissonance when sure. you imagine he's this great all-knowing leader it's easy to do so when you've never met him and so davidito left the cult as an adult but he was struggling and he was overcome by the injustice he felt over sure. children being abused in the cult. I'm guessing, and I can't confirm this obviously, I never met him, um, that he probably felt pretty bad that his childhood was used as justification to abuse people. So they not only yeah. published his abuse, but they used it to abuse others. Ugh. Um so he filmed a manifesto before attempting to find his mother. His manifesto is, I believe, still up in its entirety on YouTube, if you would like to watch it. Mm -hmm. um, he was unable to locate her, but he found a childhood nanny named Angela who frequently abused him. He had dinner with her and stabbed her to death in his apartment. He then killed Damn. himself hours later. He was only 30 years old. Wow. So, like, that's the destruction of what happened. And sometimes people think that, you know, abuse doesn't have such strong consequences. But, like, this is pretty severe. Um, because, again, the adults decided to join this cult. The children did not. And the children right. are the real victims here. I mean, the adults are, too, to a certain extent. but Especially the kids. Yeah. Um, so, let's just talk a little bit about David Berg. Um he came from a long line of non-conformist ministers. This is like something that he they what was common in his family, and he believed that the Christian Church had lost its way and turned back on the teachings of Christ. That's actually a kind of common belief now. A lot of people have issues with the church, but not mm. with the religion itself. Got it. Um, 
And he believes that all Christians should model their lives after the early church, live simply, devote everything that they have to sharing the gospel of Christ with as many people as possible. Again, that belief isn't inherently damaging. Like, if people just want to, like, give a lot of money their way and teach their beliefs and that's kind of their thing, that's not hurting anyone. Right. He was also accused of pedophilia. Which should surprise no one at this point in time. Right. Um, in his letters, he talked about how he, another boy in the church his own age asked, taught him how to masturbate. And when his mother caught him, she forced him to masturbate in front of his father. Okay, there's the trauma. Yeah, right? Like, there's the trauma just rearing its head. And you can think about how much that would mess up your views of sexuality, having to masturbate in front of your parents. Um, Berg often described his sexual preferences and said his one regret was not having sex with his mother. What? What? Right? Okay. So, obviously, Berg has some significant psychological issues. Yeah. Um, He's pretty narcissist because, again, he thinks that he knows the real way the church needs to be run. Wow. He's also definitely a pedophile. Totally. From what I can tell. Yep. Um, he was accused of molesting multiple girls and women. He is a polygamist. He had multiple famed doomsday prophecies. He kept saying the world was going to end. Newsflash, it's 2019 and we are still here. We still here. We are here. And he died in 94. Hmm. Um, let's talk about the cult today. So as I said earlier, Ugh. it is still run by that Karen so Derby. That is scary. Um, they're trying to clean up and separate themselves from the abusive past. If you look at the church, the cult's official website, they do have one. Um, they really omit everything about child abuse. Again, they have cleaned up Mo letters. They have ones that specifically say for adults only. Um, so they've changed it quite a bit, but they still, I mean, David Berg's picture is still the main thing on the website. Like it's front and center. They still do think of him as a prophet. Wow. So it's highly problematic. Um, in 94, there was a British court case that, um, ruled that the group, including some of its leaders, had in the past engaged in abusive sexual practices involving minors, had used severe corporal punishment and sequestration of minors. Again, they did physically abuse the kids as well. Oh, gosh. Um, he found that by 95, they had abandoned these practices and concluded that they were a safe environment for children. Um, but he did write that they had to stop beating kids okay um so that he did require that the group cease all corporal punishment of children in the uk and denounce any of berg's writings that were responsible for children in the family having been subjected to sexually inappropriate behaviors so basically there were really no consequences <sighs> that's for what i'm noticing any of this like they got away with it which makes me so angry um it's infuriating New doctrine of the cult allows for single homes and for members to have jobs. Okay. So they've stepped back a bit. Um, some famous members, Rose McGowan, mm. was in the grew up in the cult. Um, Jeremy Spencer left Fleetwood Mac to join the cult. Wow. Um, and like I said, the Phoenix family actually their last name was not originally Phoenix. They did change it um, to Phoenix after they left the cult to represent their new life outside. That's amazing. Um, some of the psychological factors. David Berg is like a textbook example of charismatic narcissism. Oh, I could totally see that. He totally thought he was a prophet. He knew everything. He was going to save everyone. 
and he was destructive. And what it comes down to is that he used that to encourage pedophilia. Totally. And I mean, if you look at it, that's kind of how cults get you, is they happen so gradually, where it's like, well, we're just doing this, and we're talking about Jesus. And then, like, this person who you think is wise and important is suddenly a prophet. And then there's changed things gradually. It was several years between when his first letters about sex came out and when he openly encouraged pedophilia. And so, like, so, like it, constantly pushing the boundaries. Right. Whereas, like, push it until people get comfortable and then yeah. push it until people get comfortable and then push it. Um, the members, again, a lot of them were, you know, these young people who left their homes and their families to find a different life. They wanted to live differently. They were pretty vulnerable hippies, quite frankly. Um, And they were looking for something different. And then, you know, there's also some evidence to suggest that there was PTSD amongst the members. And some of that trauma adaptation stuff could have been why people stayed. You know, a lot of people, this is, they joined so early, this is what they knew. Right. Probably Um, afraid to leave. Maybe a little bit of... I don't know, and maybe some Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah, absolutely. Know. And again, there's the death of River Phoenix, um, the murder-suicide of Davidito. And really, like, if you're looking at it, I mean, these people had to give up their family, had to give up their homes, had to live with other people, weren't allowed to have jobs. Like, how hard it is to, loo- to leave the cult if yeah. you've been there since you were 15 and you've never had a job before. This is all right. you've ever known. Like, it's not setting you up. So people, if they did leave, would have Those to Those are, like, the examples. Is, yeah. You know, people who died and Mm -hmm. had horrible things happen to them and some people were able to have lives after that and a lot of families did leave when some of the pedophilia stuff started so there were families that realized there was a problem and got out um but at the same time they controlled everything and made it so hard for them to leave that you know and there were such consequences for not listening to moses david and not listening to the mo letters that you know with corporal punishment sequestering and all of this stuff that like it's it's just horrifying for all of these people who were in it but especially for the kids yeah they didn't ask for any of it they didn't join exactly so that is the really fucked up <gasps> the family cult that is super fucked yeah um, Sorry, everyone. Disturbing that it's continuing. Yeah, to this they're day. still going, and no, like there were literally no consequences. Wowzers. Yeah. Well, now you know a shit ton about cults and yeah. how they start, and just two really like horrifying examples. Of and cults. hopefully, some things to look out for. Preventative. To cult proof your life. Cult proof your life. Maybe we should write a book called "Cult Proof Your Life." We should. That. That'd be good. So, yeah. So, we thought we'd wrap up today um, by sharing some good shit happening in the world. Good shit happening in the world. This is a new segment that was Lauren's idea. We were kind of debating what kind of, like, positive thing to end on. So good shit in the world. Lauren, would you like to talk about some good shit in the world? Yeah, there's some good shit. Um, so I found, so I think I had mentioned in a previous episode, we are in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, there is a town called Batavia that's pretty close to where we work. And I found out about this, I believe it's a non-for-profit. It's called Point to Point. It's ran by a woman out of, like, her adorable, like, PT cruiser. And what she does um, is she supports um, harm reduction when it comes to the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. And she helps um, people obtain clean needles. um, And that is a super helpful thing because... The opioid crisis is horrible. 
Um, there are a lot of people who are not exactly ready for change or for treatment just yet. And while they're in that stage, it's important that we support them and provide resources for them. So I just heard about Point to Point. It looks super cool. I'm so happy to see someone in the community doing that and helping people. Yeah. Absolutely. I've definitely worked with people with issues with opioids, and I have people I'm close with, family, that have struggled with it, too. So it's very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to have options out there for people. Um, I also have a piece of good news that I have quickly Googled. Okay, go to for get it. Something. I think we should each share one. Something yeah. Good. This is kind of in a different vein. This is something that happened out in Kentucky. Okay. Um, there's a teacher who had a student in his class with spina bifida who used a wheelchair. Okay. Uh, and they were going on a hiking field trip, and she was very sad that uh, she was unable to go because hiking is not often wheelchair accessible. Yeah. And the teacher carried her on his back so that she got to go in the hiking thing. So he got like one of those like baby carriers, but like a big one because she's older. Yeah. And he just carried her around. So she got to go hiking too. Aww. So, you know, just like a little sweet. A little like feel good, like good things happening in the world that there are like still nice people who do nice things for children. Yeah. It's not all bad. So shout out to that teacher. Let me find his name real quick. Who is Ryan Neighbor? Oh, that's a cute name. That uh, sounds like a nice person. He sounds like a very nice person. So shout out to Ryan Neighbor. Um, hopefully that it didn't back your name. Very very nice of you to carry that girl and give her a good field trip. So and to so that I say, good shit world. Good, good shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving this segment so far. I'm doing too. a great job. All right. Well, thanks for listening, spooky peeps. Thanks for getting spooky with us. Yes, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Have a great one, friends. Bye. Bye.